Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Oh, yes, it is, everyone. The Sanders Facts Podcast. Welcome to the latest edition of the Sanders Facts Podcast, the most factual podcast in the world. If you didn't already know, I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. Welcome into episode 19, the big one nine. Our podcast is an adult. How about that? June 9th, 2021. Thank you all for listening. And remember, if you want to support the Xander's Facts podcast, if you like the facts, then go follow, get that follow button, download each episode, rate, review, go on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all the socials, Xander's Facts podcast. And most importantly, tell all your friends, spread the facts, the Xander's Facts podcast. If you don't, I'll come down and I'll do it for you. First off, just shout Xander's Facts right now, wherever you are. Make sure everyone knows around you. They might think you're crazy, but I don't care. Sanders Facts Podcast. Make sure everyone knows. And remember, if you haven't listened to any of our past episodes, go do it. Last week, we talked politics. We talked sports. We're going to talk about it again. But we talk about a lot of stuff this week that builds up on last week, kind of, too. So if you haven't listened to last week, stop! Whoa! And go listen to last week's episode, episode 18. We've got episode 19 this week, and we've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. We've got sports politics well that's it but we've got nba playoffs we've got soccer i don't know if you saw that game sunday night but we're gonna talk about it and we've got some more politics stuff joe manchin is getting getting me angry so we'll talk about that but let's start with the nba playoffs again let's just do a little update because i'm very angry because half of my finals are out so remember when we had the episode with Hillbilly, we did our finals predictions, and I picked the Bucks and the Mavericks to go to the finals. Well, one of those teams lost, and it was the Mavericks. The Bucks were about to lose, though, the Nets. So the first round of the playoffs ended on Sunday. There was one Game 7. It was the Mavericks and the Clippers, and the Clippers won because Luka Doncic Scored 40 points in the first half, and then he didn't do anything in the second half, and they lost. Overrated. On the road. That snapped a streak of seven first-round series that I predicted correctly. I picked all the rest of the series correctly, except for that one. And I was going to make a whole big deal about it, and we were going to be like, the facts are real. Now the facts aren't real. They're only real seven out of eight times. So, mm. You're a liar! And that was a big one. Like, that wasn't a team I had... Going out in the second round. That's too bad. Go to the finals. Oh, anger. So now I'm angry at the Clippers and the Mavericks. The Mavericks are terrible, please. I must have been high on something. I was not high. Disclosure, serious facts. Never high. But that was ridiculous, man. They suck. So now I have to make a new prediction out of the West. I have a new prediction. The Phoenix Suns. Oh. Wow. Let me tell you something. Game one of their series against the Nuggets was Monday night, and they looked really good. Devin Booker, Chris Paul, DeAndre Ayton, they've got that trio. They're going to the finals. How about that? The Phoenix Suns! I think they're going to beat the Nuggets. I think they're going to beat whoever they play in the conference finals. They look pretty good against the Lakers, even though the Lakers were just blech. Both? How about this? Both? Teams that were in the finals last year 
were kicked out of the first round of the NBA playoffs this year. That's a fact! I mean, I guess the, I don't know. They were tired, and they had injuries. Anthony Davis was injured. LeBron did not look like himself, even though he's 36, 37 years old, so he's getting up there. I think the Suns are going to go to the finals. I don't know, because right now, they have that 1-0 series lead over the Nuggets right now. Denver Nuggets, game two is on Wednesday. The Suns are the two seed, Nuggets are the three seed. Also in the West, it's the Jazz and the Clippers. They just had their first game Tuesday night. Jazz won. Finally, Clippers. Blech. Jazz won. They lead the series 1-0. Game 2 was on t- Thursday. I believe... Well, I, I guess I picked the Mavericks to beat the Jazz. Ugh. Clippers won't beat the Jazz, so the Jazz are going to win that series. In the East, though, right now, it's the Nets over the Bucks, 2-0. The Nets destroyed the Bucks in the second game. Like, it wasn't even close. I think it was like a 40-something point game. It wasn't even close. Game three is on Thursday, and I picked the Bucks to go to the finals. Oh, no. Well, I'll stick, I'll stick to my guns right now and pick the Bucks. I don't know. The other series, though, in the East is the Hawks and the Sixers. Oh, that one is tied 1-1. The Sixers just won Tuesday night, and game three is... Friday? Oh, that's a good series, though. But I think I picked the Sixers, but I uh, like the Hawks right now. Trey Young. They played really well against the Knicks. And the 76ers, they got Joel Embiid back, but they had him for both of those games, and they lost one of them. So, I don't know. There you go. NBA playoffs update. I'm kind of sick of the NBA right now, but I'll still watch because both my teams are out. Half my picks are out. Oh, it's a disaster. But what is not a disaster is what's going on in soccer. Well, actually, it is kind of a disaster if you watch Sunday night because there was a big game Sunday night. If you didn't see it, then let me tell you about it right now. Don't turn off, don't turn off your podcast. Sunday night, big turning point for the U.S. men's national team. It was the CONCACAF Nations League Championship. And what is the CONCACAF Nations League? I couldn't tell you. But CONCACAF is the governing body of soccer in North America, the Caribbean, and Central America. Remember when we did the Super League podcast and the Champions League, and we were talking about UEFA, and we were talking about FIFA, and how FIFA governs soccer in the world, and UEFA governs soccer in Europe? CONCACAF is basically UEFA, but CONCACAF is in North America, so there you go. CONCACAF Nations League. It was the first ever one. I don't know why they have it. It doesn't really mean anything. But it was the U.S. and Mexico, our rivals, on the pitch. Sunday night, Denver, collision course! Yep. So if you were watching, you probably saw one of the craziest, wildest, most unpredictable, insane soccer matches you've ever seen. Because it was, I did watch it live, just to let you know. And it was all that and then some. Let's do a little recap here. So the match began, quick goal, second minute by Mexico. I didn't even see it. It just happened so quickly. I got angry. But the U.S. answered into the 27th minute. And then in the second half, the two sides scored again. So at the end of regular time, it was 2-2. Two to two. So they had 30 minutes of extra time. And all hell broke loose, ladies and gentlemen. At the end of regulation, Weston McKinney, who is on the U.S., was grabbed by the neck twice by two players on Mexico, both of whom did not get ejected because they only have, first off, Soccer is stupid. They only have one referee for that whole pitch. That's ridiculous. In football, any referee can throw a flag, but they only have one. 
referee for the whole pitch, except for the two individuals on the sides who only call off sides and uh, who gets possession when the ball goes out of bounds. Like, it's ridiculous. I don't get it. What do you say? Because they should have gotten ejected. So, in extra time, Mexico is starting to wear down. U.S. kicked it in the gear. Oh, my gosh. Best player in the world. You all know who it is. Christian Pulisic. So, in the second half of extra time, they have 15-minute halves of extra time, I guess, for 30 minutes. So, in the second half, Pulisic was in the box. It looked like he had a chance to break the tie, but he got sandwiched by two Mexican defenders, and the ref didn't call a penalty. The referee was from Panama, and oh my gosh. So, VAR, which is video review, called the referee in to take another look. So the ref was reviewing the play from the monitor, which they for some reason put between the two benches for some reason. That wasn't a smart idea. And so the Mexican manager, who was Gerardo Martino, thought it was a good idea to drape his arm around the ref during, while he was reviewing the play, instant red card. <laughs> it was a terrible, iconic, classic photograph that was taken of that. I think he just... He was just holding up the red card, wasn't even looking at him. He was like, get out of here. So Martino was sent off. After several minutes of review, though, the referee finally emphatically signaled penalty. He gave Christian Pulisic a chance to show what he's worth, greatest player in the world, and break the tie. And guess what happened? Here it comes! Absolutely amazing. Magnificent! Pulisic... Sent the shot up the top right corner, out of reach of the goalie, gave the U.S. the advantage, took his shirt off, head over to the Mexican supporters section, started shutting them. Because let me tell you something. There were a ton of Mexican fans in that crowd, and it was kind of ridiculous. So then, because they were being very bad people, and then, oh boy, the Mexican fans started to hurl bottles and cups at the players. They hit Giovanni Reina on the head a U.S. player who scored in the 27th minute. It was ridiculous. Earlier in the match, they had to stop play because the Mexican fans were chanting a homophobic slur that is very common at Mexican home matches. So you know it wasn't the U.S. fans that will not be recalled on this podcast. It was a bad thing. And so CONCACAF has these new rules that allowed a referee to stop play and eventually, after three warnings, suspend the game as part of their anti-discrimination protocol, which is kind of a joke because they don't really do anything about it. Like, stopping the game, that just gives them more, I don't know. Like, it's ridiculous. So later in extra time, Mexico was mounting what looked like to be a last chance strike. They took a shot. It went wide. But the Mexican players were calling handball after they thought the ball might have hit off a U.S. defender in the box. A referee is initially stick to, stuck to no call, but VAR called him back. They said, you got to take a look. After several minutes, we didn't even know on the television broadcast because we didn't get any clear footage. The ref gave Mexico a penalty kick after the 120th minute. So there's 90 minutes in a soccer match, plus 30. That's 120. It's the truth. After, 100 and, after the 120th minute, an extra time of the extra time, or they gave him a penalty. And by the way... The goalkeeper for the U.S., Zach Steffen, who was the backup for Manchester City, as you know from this podcast, got injured earlier in the match. So the backup, Ethan Horvath, was in the net for the U.S., and he had played in his first international match since 2019, a week before, March of 2019. Fact! And in the save of his life, oh yes, 
He blocked the penalty kick by the Mexican captain, Andre Guardado, gave the U.S. the victory over Mexico. Like, come on, second. However, okay. After that moment, there were more throttles thrown by the Mexican fans. They hit a Mexican player because the U.S. was trying to run out the clock of the corner, and a couple Mexican fans then decided to streak out on the pitch in the final moments. Like, it was a disaster. And meanwhile, during the break after regular time, so in the intermission between regular time and extra time, they had the CBS broadcast set at the stadium, and a fan broke onto the CBS set and jumped off the back of the railing while being chased by security. Like, it looked like it could have died. Like, I, it was ridiculous. But you know what? The U.S. got the win. And it was kind of... A, I said the Nations League was whatever. I don't even know what it is. But it's kind of a big deal. Because this was the first trophy that this new generation of talent got for the U.S. It was a huge victory for them because they finally got to coalesce and bond. And after that disaster, that was the World Cup qualifying match in 2017 against Trinidad and Tobago. You know what I'm talking about where they lost to Trinidad and Tobago and didn't make the World Cup. Yikes! They have undergone, this United States men's national team has undergone four years of rebuilding. They brought on a new manager. They've been finding talented youth, and they finally put it all together to beat El Tri Sunday night. El Tri, Mexico. Blech. And how about this? They have an average age, the U.S. men's national team. This was their top-tier team that was on the field. They had an average age of less than 24 years old. That is by far the youngest squad in the FIFA Top 100 nation rankings by over a year. That's a big fact. And after the 2017 loss, that number was 29 years old. So in 2017, after they lost to Trinidad and Tobago, the average age of the U.S. men's national team player was 29 years old. Right now, it's 24. It's a fact. I mean, how about that? They've got, so I mentioned the manager, a, the young guys believe in him, Greg Berhalter. They've got future studs. They've got the best player in the world, Pulisic. They've got Weston McKinney, Giovanni Reyna, Tyler Adams, Serginho Des. All of them are younger than 23 years old, and they will definitely not disappoint in this fall's World Cup qualifying or even if they play in the CONCACAF Gold Cup, which is later this summer, I think, during the Olympics, which I don't think they're going to play it. But the World Cup qualified, they're definitely not going to disappoint. And they could be a dark horse in Qatar next year. Qatar, Qatar, I don't even know. That's where the World Cup is. I don't know why. We talked about that with the Super League podcast, FIFA, corrupt, you know. But the ultimate goal for this team always has been and will be 2026. Huh. Five years from now. I don't know if you know what's going on in 2026, but that's a World Cup year. Five years from now, Pulisic and McKinney, their two top players, are going to be 27 years old. They're going to be at the top of their games, and they are going to be leading one of the most talented U.S. men's national team squads in history. I don't know if you know what's going on in 2026. It's a World Cup year, and the World Cup is going to be in Mexico, Canada, and for the most part, the United States. Whoa. How about that? I mean, big time. There's, we, got, we finally have a reason to be optimistic about this U.S. team. And they, I mean, they're going to be hitting their peak form by the time the World Cup comes back to the States just five summers from now. How about that? Five summers from now. So the world better take notice 
Because here comes the USA. Sanders facts. If you want to be optimistic, we've had so many times to be optimistic for U.S. soccer. But the game is growing, and by 2026, that could be huge. They could be World Cup contenders. I mean... Slow down there. Suck at Europe, please. I don't care about you. As I say suck at Europe, the Euros begin this week. How about that? We talked about the Euros a week or two ago in our podcast. Oh, yes. We gave the predictions. So my pick and M. Adams' pick, who we had on. So we picked France to win it all for the Euros. And I still think that's going to happen. But the Euros begin this Friday. Turkey and Italy square off on Friday. Then we've got games throughout the weekend. All of them, I believe, are either on ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, all those. So they're all going to be on TV. So there's no reason to miss them. It's going to be great soccer. And after watching that Sunday night game, I mean, I'm all for soccer right now. Because basketball is giving me a headache. Get that out of here. The Bucks and the whoever's. It's golly. It's ridiculous, man. Like the Mavericks. Oh, Porzingis apparently is angry. Like he didn't do anything at all. I don't even know any of their other players. Oh, gosh. I'm just angry at the Mavericks. So that's why. I don't know. And the Heat and the Wizards are out. So now I'm happy with soccer. We'll talk a lot more soccer coming up throughout the Euros. The World, the Olympics have soccer, I think. I don't even know. I don't think they have the uh, regular teams, though. Especially in Europe, because they're going to be playing in the Euros. Like, So I don't think Olympic soccer means much. I don't know. Olympics are in July. If they happen. <laughs> I mean, COVID Rona. We'll, we'll see. So that's what we've got for sports. And in a minute, we've got some bid politics stuff. We've got, I mentioned the Four of the People Act last week when we were talking about Mansion and the filibuster, and I got angry. Now we're going to talk about it again, because on Sunday, he, Jim Manchin decided to write an op-ed. And let me tell you something, oh boy, we'll just, we'll get all into it. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back here to the Zaders Facts Podcast. Politics is next with the Zaders Facts Podcast continues. Zaders Facts. Hey guys, it's Abbott and Zader here. So, you know what? It's also here? Summer. How about that? I love summer. And what do you need for summer? Well, the essentials, of course. And Instacart can help you out with all of your summer needs. I know we all have Instacart. So Instacart will set out a personal shopper to deliver your favorite products from local stores to your door in as fast as an hour. I mean, come on. How about that? Plus, you can choose from a ton of stores around you to always get what you need. Instacart helps you to find the best deals on all the things you usually buy and will give you smart suggestions for new items that you might like. So what are you waiting for? Use the link in this episode's description if you're a new customer to get free delivery on your first order above $35 and go shop without even leaving your home with Instacart today. Sanders Facts! Sanders Facts Podcast. What's happening, y'all? Welcome back into episode 19 of the Sanders Facts Podcast. I am the aforementioned leader, of course. I hope you're ready for some politics, and I hope you're ready... To sit down for a while because we've got some big stuff going on this week 
for the people act. Ever heard of it? Who? So Sunday, our boy, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, he wrote in an op-ed at the Charleston Gazette Mail in West Virginia. He reiterated his support for the filibuster, UG one, and then he stated he would not support the For the People Act, UG two. He wrote that protecting the right to vote should not be done in a partisan manner. And so, because the For the People Act has no Republican sponsors, he said he's not going to vote for the bill. Even though, back when it was first introduced in 2019, Manchin joined all of his fellow Senate Democrats in co-sponsoring the bill. What changed? Well, I said, no Republicans support the bill. Apparently a big game changer for Manchin, who has repeatedly stated how important bipartisanship is to him. Even as Republicans continue to block stuff like the January 6th commission, this key legislation, Manchin still believes, falsely, that there is hope that 10 Republican senators are going to sign on to key voting rights legislation as the Republicans across the country are continuing to slowly take away those rights. Remember last week when we broke down the Texas bill? Hmm. Huh. But it appears... Manchin has no policy differences to the bill. It's only that he doesn't support the bill because of the lack of Republican support. And he shouldn't have any policy differences to the bill because it is wildly popular. Here comes a fact. So a recent Southern Poverty Law Center poll conducted in April found that 67% of voters nationwide support the bill and that 55% of voters agree that a simple majority of senators should be required to pass any bill in the U.S. Senate. And a data for Progress and Equal Citizens poll back in January, just after the inauguration, found that 67% support the bill. 77% of Democrats support it. 68% of independents. 56% of Republicans. And in his own state, West Virginia, the data gets worse for Manchin. An End Citizens United Let America Vote Action Fund survey that was conducted in early May found that 79% of voters in the state of West Virginia, one of the most conservative states in the country, 79% of voters support the For the People Act, and it found 76% of registered Republican voters in West Virginia support the bill. How about in Arizona, where 84% support the legislation? They've got their Senator Kirsten Sinema who is, again, another filibuster lover for, I don't know, reasons unknown to many, but I know, money. So 79% of voters in West Virginia support the For the People Act. That's a fact! But apparently Joe Manchin's worried that he's not going to get reelected or he's not going to get any more money if no Republicans sign on to it. Well, that doesn't really, uh, just, I know, I don't. So apparently, if a single Republican senator actually signed on for the bill, he'd support it. Because in the same op-ed, he cited support for the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act because it has bipartisan support. The support, one senator, Alaska Republican Senator Lisa Murkowski, the lone Republican in the Senate to come out in support of the bill. The John Lewis Voting Rights 
Advancement Act is basically just the latest reauthorization of the Voting Rights Act that was passed in 1965. It would restore the full protections of that bill that was gutted by the Supreme Court back in 2013 because racism is apparently no longer relevant, according to John Roberts. The act also is updating the formula that states and localities are going to use to ensure that voting laws do not restrict rights for any group or population. He loved talking about that. You should have read that. I don't know if you read the op-ed, but he loved talking about how great that was. But apparently not the For the People Act, because it's not bipartisan. Of course, one Republican senator is not enough when the filibuster requires 60 votes. And that Advancement Act is not going to pass either. Because maybe one or two other Republicans will sign on to it, but... Uh, you know, Mitch McConnell's like, don't vote for it. I think he said that today. Don't vote for it, Mr. Turtle. So if he's not going to remove the, if he's not going to move on the filibuster, oh well. And considering after Republicans blocked the January 6th commission, Manchin was livid. He was infuriated that Republicans blocked it, and he still didn't do anything. So give me a break. It's it's clear though, money. He's not going to move until. Either he sees an impact on his cash reserves or his prospects for re-election in 2024 start to look murkier. And they already do. He's in West Virginia. In fact, if he didn't vote for it, they look murkier. Because 79% of voters in West Virginia... Oh, gosh. I don't know. So, last week we talked about the For the People Act 2 and I said, we're going to get back to it. We're going to do a deep dive. Well, guess when we're going to do that deep dive? How about right now? Here it comes! Deep dive action. Xander's facts. What exactly is in the For the People Act? So first off, all the information in this act can be found directly from the congressional online copy. It's HR1, found at congress.gov or the Brennan Center for Justice, which did a very nice summary of the bill. This bill is over 800 pages long, people. So get ready. I'm going to do a deep dive. Buckle up. You better sit down. Get your drink. I don't even know. Morning, morning. So first off, let's start in Title One. The breakdown of how bills in Congress work is their sections are broken down as titles. And then in those titles are subtitles. So first off, Title One, Subtitle A. The bill would modernize the process for voter registration for federal elections. What does that mean? Well, the bill cites the U.S. as having one of the lowest voter turnout rates among developed nations. That's true. And nearly one in four eligible voters are not registered to vote. Do you know that? It's true. The truth lies here. So the bill would require each state to provide an online voter registration portal, which is kind of ridiculous because it's already in 40 states in D.C., I signed up to register to vote online. It's kind of insane that there's states that you actually can't register to vote online. But it would become, all the states would have to do it under this bill. It would also require all states to implement automatic voter registration. You can see that as AVR. That automatically registers all eligible citizens to vote after the citizens have provided government agencies with information such as the DMV. Once the DMV gets that information, they'll be automatically registered to vote. This would register up to 50 million new voters, and 19 states and D.C. have already adopted it. So that would be 30 more states, 31 more states, where everyone who was eligible would be registered to vote. How about that? The bill would also require states 
to offer same-day registration for federal elections, which allows eligible residents to register to vote and cast a ballot on the same day instead of having these registration deadlines that are weeks before an election. And there's already 21 states and D.C. that have already done this. It would also limit how states compile their data through these interstate cross-checks to purge eligible voters from voter rolls. What did you just say, Xander? Cross-check programs are voter registration databases, which are shared across multiple states to identify duplicate registrations. And a bunch of them have been shown to be poorly designed, and they have resulted in many eligible voters being purged from the voting rolls for no reason. Like, it's ridiculous, and they're going to fix that. The bill would also require states to create voter privacy programs to protect information of victims of domestic violence, stalking, sexual assault, etc. It would require the Postal Service to include a reminder to update voter registration on change of address forms. That would make the process a lot simpler. And it would ensure pre-election registration deadlines are consistent with public holidays and public holidays. Get to that in a second. It also gives states additional funding to update their voter registration processes so the states don't have to whine and say, we have to use our own money. The federal government will give them money. The bill would ban and establish criminal, criminal penalties for attempts to interfere with or prevent another person from registering to vote. It would also require those applying for a new driver's license to indicate the state which they have previously resided in and confirmed that they intend to use their new state for voter registration in order to decrease the instances of duplicate voter registrations across states. That would make a lot of sense. As we just said, people are getting purged from the voting rolls for no reason. This would help with that. The bill would also require states to allow future voters age 16 and over. If you're 16 or 17, you'll be able to pre-register to vote so that when you're 18, you'll already be eligible. I did that. In Virginia, you can pre-register when you're 17, and that's what I did. And then I was able to vote. There you go. Quick facts. So next, the bill would create the Disability Voting Rights Act. What's that? It would increase protections for over 35 million disabled Americans to vote. It would guarantee those with disabilities the right to use absentee voting procedures more on that in a second the bill would also require states to establish processes for each state for those with disabilities to register to vote and request an absentee ballot it would designate a single office to provide information on registration and absentee ballots for disabled individuals and it would establish procedures to securely transmit blank absentee ballots so it would streamline the process it would help People with disabilities, if they need help, get help, they'd establish a single office that would work specifically on this issue, which, if we know anything about dealing with the government, they all need some streamlining and help. The bill would also prohibit voter caging. What is voter caging? It's when states that purge or challenge the registrations of voters who don't return mail sent to individuals on voter rolls. So states will send... It won't, they'll send articles of mail to individuals on their voter rolls. And if those individuals don't send that mail back, because it's specifically marked to send it back, if they don't send it back, then states will remove 
those individuals from voter rolls. It doesn't make any sense. But that has proven to not work at all. So the bill would prohibit challenges to an individual's eligibility to vote within 10 days of election day, unless the individual registered within 20 days of the election. It would also establish penalties for challenging a voter's eligibility to register or cast a ballot when the challenger knows the voter is eligible. B.S. challenging. Next, with hold on, we got a ton of stuff on. Hold on. So the bill would also create the Deceptive Practices and Voter Intimidation Prevention Act. Little acts in the big act. So that bill would prohibit knowing and intentional communication of false and misleading information regarding information on elections, public endorsements, and rules on voter eligibility and registration made with the intent of preventing eligible voters from casting ballots. Looking at you, Facebook, because they had all that stuff on Facebook about lies, election lies, all those election ads. That would be illegal. And the bill would also establish federal criminal penalties for deceiving or intimidating voters. Bad stuff. Next, the bill would restore and guarantee federal voting rights for citizens with past felony convictions who have completed any term of incarceration. This would require states to inform of restoration of voting rights in writing to these individuals. And many of these Felony Disenfranchisement Act laws, they date back to the Jim Crow area, and they disproportionately affect African Americans. So finally, people who have been incarcerated or out of jail can vote. And also the bill requires all state and local officials to conduct elections using voter verified paper ballots. No more voting machines because apparently hackers have hacked into them. Surprise, surprise. How about that technology? So voters are also allowed to correct any errors before their paper ballot is cast. Voters are given the option to mark their ballots by hand. State and local officials can preserve these paper ballots for recounts or audits and can count these ballots by hand. Individuals with disabilities are also going to be allowed to vote privately and independently using paper ballots. So now we're only going to have paper ballots. No more machines because paper can't get hacked unless you steal the paper, I guess. I don't know. No, I'm not going to give anybody ideas. Get that! Out of here. The bill would also require all provisional ballots. You know what provisional ballots are? When you go to the wrong voting pl- uh, polling place and they give you a provisional ballot because you're not supposed to uh, vote there. But if you don't fill out another ballot, then they'll count that one. This bill would require all provisional ballots to be counted with respect to the contest in which the voter who cast it was eligible to vote. Basically what I just said. Fancy language. Also, the bill would expand the federal minimum guidelines for early voting. So that, that was a big thing we talked about in the Texas bill because they were limiting early voting. So this bill was going to require all states to allow at least two weeks of early voting, including Saturdays and Sundays, weekends for federal elections. On those days, each day must have at least 10 hours of early voting with some early morning and evening hours. The bill requires states to ensure that early voting locations are within walking distance of public transportation. They're accessible to rural voters and that they're located on college campuses to make sure students can vote. Because young people, who are the generation that votes the least. Oops! So the bill also requires states to allow any eligible voter to vote by mail, universal mail-in voting, and requires states and localities to transmit mail-in ballot applications to 
all registered voters at least 60 days before an election day. It also requires states to begin processing and scanning ballots cast and counting them during early voting at least two weeks before the date of the election. So remember back in November when some states' results came in pretty fast and some took days, Georgia, Pennsylvania. Those were states that did not start counting their ballots until election night. However, in other states, we got their results really fast. Florida, Ohio, Texas, I think, because they counted their ballots weeks, in some cases, before the election. The bill would also, talking about colleges, it would require public public universities to facilitate voter registration and allow college students the ability to vote in the jurisdiction in which their school is without intimidation. It would require states to provide notice of polling place changes at least seven days before an election, Mm, so you know where to go. It would also require states with voter ID requirements. This is not getting rid of voter ID requirements. So states can still have voter ID requirements. But states that do would have to allow voters that don't have their ID to vote if they complete a sworn written statement attesting to their identity. The bill would also direct states to ensure fair and equitable waiting times and voting lines. Georgia, we're looking at you, eight-hour waiting times for voting lines, that's ridiculous, and ensure no individual waits longer than 30 minutes to cast a ballot. It also requires states to provide a sufficient number of secure, accessible, and widely distributed drop boxes for absentee ballots starting at least 45 days before an election, and it prohibits states from restricting curbside voting. All things we talked about in that Texas bill that we're getting rid of drop boxes they were getting rid of curbside voting they were getting rid of polling places so that the lines would be a lot longer and people wouldn't want to stand in lines this bill contradicts that and because the federal government is ahead of the state government that state bill gets debunked the bill would also as i mentioned before the bill makes election day in the united states a public holiday how about that how about that a lot thing a lot of people want it would also require the bill also requires states to send uniform service and overseas voters ballots at least 45 days before a federal election and states must use and pay for express delivery of those ballots so we can get all those ballots in on time like we were talking about counting the votes 2 weeks before the election so election day doesn't turn into election week like it did this past year too many facts so moving on to Title II. Remember the titles and the subtitles? We're on Title II now. We're getting there. Title I was definitely the biggest one, so you know, hold your horses. So in Title II, the bill does not make D.C. a state, but it promotes the statehood of the District of Columbia. So it talks about the positive effects that that would have. There is a different bill, I believe H.R. 51, which has passed the House, which is now in the Senate, which is not going to get passed because 60 senators don't support D.C. becoming a state, but that's a bill that would make D.C. a state. That's a different bill. This promotes the statehood of D.C. It also commits to protecting and promoting Native American voting rights, one of the most discriminated against minorities in this country when it relates to voting. It commits to 
updating and restoring Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. Remember the uh, John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act? This would restore Section 5, which was probably the biggest part of the Voting Rights Act, which required states and localities with histories of discriminatory voting practices to secure federal government approval before making any changes to their voting rules or maps. And that's what uh, the Supreme Court got rid of in 2013 and said, racism is no longer a thing. It would also create findings in support of federal voting rights in all the U.S. territories. And if you didn't know what the U.S. territories were, you know Puerto Rico, probably Guam, the U.S. Virgin Islands, American Samoa, and the Northern Mariana Islands. How about that? U.S. territories. It's a fact. Puerto Rico might become a state. We'll see. And then the bill would also ban partisan gerrymandering. Oh, boy. Gerrymandering. By prohibiting the adoption of any map that has the intent or effect of favoring or disfavoring one political party over another. How would it do that? The bill would require states to create an independent commission to carry out congressional redistricting that prohibits current and recent lawmakers and staff and lobbyists and others with conflicts of interest from serving on the commission. This is what we just did in Virginia, and we did a constitutional amendment. So voters voted on it, and it got approved overwhelmingly, I believe. So that drawing maps for Congress and the legislature is no longer in the hands of the General Assembly. It's in the hands of an independent commission so that we don't get crazy maps that we see in Republican states, but Democratic states too, like Maryland has some crazy maps actually. So the commission would also have to have an equal number of Republican, Democratic, and unaffiliated or third-party members, which are selected through a rigorous screening process where maps can only pass with the support of all three groups. And it includes, it has to include, members that are representative of the state's demographic makeup and their different geographic regions. So that's what we kind of did in here in Virginia, or didn't do, because apparently Southwest Virginia and Western Virginia are disproportionately not represented well in this commission, whereas the Richmond area, Northern Virginia, Hampton Roads areas, Tidewater, they are. Well, that's also where the population is. But in Title Three. Oh my gosh, there's 10 titles. We're on Title Three. Slow down, buddy. The bill includes funds, programs, and commitments to upgrade election infrastructure. This is about security and increasing the security of elections and election infrastructure, along with conducting risk-limiting audits of election results. Not the BSUC in Arizona, where people who are not even close to being a part of the government are counting ballots for who knows what reason. Preventing cyber attacks, hackers, and foreign adversaries from influencing election results, Russia. Maybe Ukraine. I don't know. Did you see that? Maybe Ukraine. In Title IV, the bill cracks down on foreign influence on political campaigns. This is because of Trump. Through monetary benefits, because the Trump campaign was getting money from Russia. If you did, if you read the Mueller report, you'd know this. It creates the Disclose Act which is designed to increase transparency in elections and strengthen safeguards against foreign interference. It strengthens oversight of online political advertising and requires outside groups, super PACs, to disclose top donors and chief officials in all their campaign ads. 
so we know who's actually behind them. In Title V, Listen up. The bill would counter the effects of the Supreme Court's decision in the Citizens United versus the FEC case. Remember that one? I think we talked about that. The bill will establish a voluntary small donor public financing system for House of Representatives elections. And it empowers small donor donations, and it takes steps to help working and middle-class candidates run for office. Because right now, it takes a lot of money to run for political office. Title VI would overhaul the Federal Elections Commission, which is the FEC, which would reduce partisan gridlock. So right now, there's six members, three Republicans, three Democrats. They don't get anything done. It would reduce the number of members to five and it would require that up to two individuals of a political party can be members. So you can't have three Democrats, two Republicans, three Republicans, two Democrats. You only have two Republicans, two Democrats, and you'd have an independent who'd basically be the tiebreaker. And it would also give the FEC a chairperson, finally, that would serve as their chief administrative officer because the FEC is a joke right now. It would all, The bill would also tighten restrictions on coordination between candidates and outside groups like super PACs. It would also require disposal of all unused campaign funds no later than six years after the last election the candidate ran in or earlier if the candidate becomes a registered lobbyist. So right now, Donald Trump... DB can keep all his unused campaign funds for an unlimited amount of time right now. But if this bill becomes law, he'd have to give it up after six years and he'd cry. In Title Seven, the bill requires new ethical standards for Supreme Court justices, presidential appointees, and it bolsters the enforcement of rules governing foreign agents operating in the country, and it strengthens lobbying disclosure rules. Title VIII creates new ethics requirements for executive branch officials, while Title IX addresses ethics requirements in the legislative branch, and Title X requires sitting presidents and vice presidents and major party candidates for those offices to disclose their tax returns. <laughs> DB. Isn't it all coming together? I mean, there you go. That's the For the People Act. Thanks goodness that's over. I know it is a big deep dive. That bill is 800 pages long though. It has a ton of stuff in it, but it's not going to pass. Why? Because there are no Republican votes. Probably because it would negate all the voter suppression laws that are being passed in Florida, and Georgia, and Texas, and other states by Republicans. What was it, 14 states that have passed voter suppression laws this year? As we said last week, you know, Senior Sox Podcast. And it would substantially increase the rights and opportunities to vote in the United States. But it's dead because there's no Republican support. It needs 60 votes with the filibuster. It passed the House. It's not going to pass the Senate. So what are we going to do? Well, nothing right now, but it's going to bring up the importance of how big these midterm elections are going to be next year. And considering history is not on the Democrats' side, it's interesting the approval ratings of the Democrats. Because I believe I said this a couple weeks ago, Joe Biden has an approval rating that's hovering in the high 50s, around 60% right now, which considering the partisanship in the country is pretty good. Nancy Pelosi is the leader in Congress who was most favorably seen, not Mitch McConnell, not Kevin McCarthy, not even Chuck Schumer. Chuck Schumer's second. 
Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell are way down there. She has the highest approval rating, Nancy Pelosi does, of any congressional leader. And if you don't believe me, look it up. That's a big fact. But the Democrats are going to have a hard time keeping the House next year because Republicans are going to be able to draw their gerrymandering lines. So they're going to try to cheat. No, no, not. But the Senate, they actually have a good chance because Republicans hold seats in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, two states that... Biden won, Ohio, Missouri, a couple other states, but Democrats are going to have to defend seats in New Hampshire, Georgia, Arizona. Uh, Republicans are holding a seat in North Carolina, too, right now. Uh, DB was just there. I don't know if you saw that this weekend. (laughs) I don't know. We'll see. We'll talk. That's midterm elections, fall 2022. It's June 9th, 2021. We've got plenty of time, so we'll talk about that way down the line but hopefully you enjoyed that deep dive of the for the people act another deep dive here on the xander sacks podcast because that's all we've got for you here this week episode 19 of the xander sacks podcast i don't know what we'll talk about next week but we've got new stuff episode 20 the big 2-0 episode 20 next week and thank you all for listening to episode 19 of the xander sacks podcast and remember if you like that deep dive if you liked my rant about u.s soccer then you can go follow, download, rate, and review the podcast. Go on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, search Xander's Facts. That's Xander with a Z. And tell all your friends about the Xander's Facts podcast. Spread the facts. I know. Just go yell out right now. Go outside your house and yell Xander's Facts podcast. Your apartment, wherever you are, tell somebody. Xander's Facts podcast. That's it. Episode 19 of the Xander's Facts podcast is in the books. And we'll see y'all next week. Xander's facts.